Okay, with that said, then we are going to jump into Exodus chapter 25. As we turn to Exodus 25, I wanted to ask you a question, so feel free to talk back to me on this. Uh, What do you love about your home? What do you love about your home? I'll I'll go first just to give you some time to think. I get to travel a little bit, and and one of my favorite sensations is coming back in that first night, like laying down in my own bed. It's it's just one of my favorite things about our home. Uh, Jess also does a great job, like, with our yard and garden. It's just really beautiful to see. So those are a couple of my favorite things about my home. What are some favorite things about your home? Max? Your bed. All right, there we go. It's a hereditary thing, apparently. So, yes, sir. Nice. You like that your dad can work from home. That's awesome. Sure. The candy bin. We have a candy bin at home. Yeah. It's the best bin in our Conley house. So they don't like me as much. Um, They like the candy bin. See what I did there? It's a pun. Um, Grown-ups, anything? Oh, yeah, Teddy. Outside. Outside. Yeah, even in the summer? Um, Yeah, all right. Good for you. Other kids can learn from that. Grown-ups, oh, yeah. What's your favorite thing about home? Your bed. Yeah. Hey, let's just do this. If your bed is one of the favorite things about your home, raise your hand. All right, there you go. The rest of you can get some really good deals on mattresses. Uh, It's not a pyramid scheme, but if you sell three mattresses, then they sell three mattresses. It happens. So there's also this saying, home is where the heart is, right? And and a lot of that's just because so many good memories and good times happen there. And yet, if we were to dive in a little bit deeper, no home is perfect. Right? Like, I remember the first house that Jess and I bought. I bought a little house in Benbrook after living in an apartment for a couple years. And, like, the first or second month in that house, something like the, the air conditioning broke. And it's like, oh man, we have this new home. It's amazing. But now we've got to spend more. We just spent a lot in, you know, it's first home. So, like, we already spent everything plus, uh, and now we've got to spend more. It's like, okay, $500. Okay. Then the next month, it's like something else happened. And, and I remember the day that we looked at each other and we're like, all right, so. So these one-time fix-up costs are not the exception. Like, this is the norm. This is the rule. And so we put a line in our family budget, just home fix-up. And it was just a reality of home. Now, most everyone throughout all of history, not everyone, but most everyone has had some form of home. And most everyone throughout most of history would say home is good, but home is not perfect. So we're going to see that same thing today in a few chapters of Exodus. God is going to instruct his people to build a tabernacle. That's a big word. Kiddos, anybody know what a tabernacle is? Tabernacle, Conley? Like a temple. Yeah, it was like a movable temple. Okay, It It was a huge tent. And most of the time when we think tents, we think camping, like small, sleeping on the ground, maybe on some rocks. This That's not what the tabernacle was. The tabernacle was a huge and fancy and amazing tent, and it's where people came to worship God. In this tent, in the tabernacle, God would dwell with his people, and that's really important today. But just like our homes, the tabernacle was not perfect. There's a lot of setup. It moved with God's people, and and most of all, it was replaced later by a permanent temple, a temple in Jerusalem. And so, so here's the point today, is that the tabernacle, okay, this is on the screen. If you like to take notes, you're welcome to. Um, the tabernacle is God's earthly home while his people wandered. If you haven't been with us, God's people were enslaved in Egypt. He redeemed them. And this is, he just, he just gave them 10 commandments and a law. And now he says, build this dwelling place for me. But the tabernacle is God's earthly home while his people wandered And it pointed to God's more permanent home in the promised land. 
The tabernacle was God's earthly home while his people wandered, which pointed toward God's more permanent home in the promised land. And so diving into that, today we're going to see three things. First, God has always, throughout all of human history, God has had a home among his people. Second, God's home always reflects God. And finally, God's earthly home points us to our eternal home. All right, that's what we're going to see. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us see these things? Would you help us see other things? If you want to bring other things to light by the power of your spirit today, would you be our primary teacher? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so first, God has always had a home among his people. Exodus 25, starting in verse 1, says this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution you, sh- you shall receive from them. Gold and silver and bronze and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linens and goat's hair and tanned ram skins and goat skins and acacia wood and oil for lamps and spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and the breastplate. We'll see that next week. And let them make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. And this is what God does over these next chapters. He gives specifications. He says, here's how you're supposed to build it. He did this with Noah and an ark in the first book of the Bible. And some pastors especially will look at this passage that I just read, and they'll use it as like a tithe passage. Like, tell everybody who will give to give and, and give their best. And, and for the record, like, it is good and right to support the work of God. And, and it is good and right to give your best to God. But, but that is not the point of this passage. Tithing, giving is not the point of this passage. In fact, we'll, we'll come back to some of the reasons that, that these gifts were costly and ornate in a little bit. But, but verse 8, the underlined verse on the screen, is the key to grasping the purpose of this chapter. And really the purpose of the tabernacle. What's it say? It says, make me a sanctuary that I may what? Dwell in their midst. Make me a sanctuary so that I can dwell in their midst. Now now let me ask you, is this the first time God has dwelled among his people? No. In fact, throughout all of history, God has always dwelled with his people. This is maybe a quick summary. We're not going to spend too much time on it. But before the tabernacle, God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. After the tabernacle, there was a more permanent dwelling place, the temple at Jerusalem. Actually, there were a couple of temples at Jerusalem. One was destroyed and, and, and was rebuilt. Today, and this is really important for us, God doesn't have one physical building where he dwells. Where, where does God dwell with his people today, church? Yeah, he dwells in our hearts, okay? In fact, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are God's holy temple. You are the dwelling place of God in this era of unfolding history. And that's a joyful, but also kind of otherworldly reality, isn't it? It's also part of why, like, the tabernacle image is kind of hard to grasp, because 
Because, y'all, in Christ, we don't just approach God in one place at one time. Like, worship leaders should, should not, in today's churches, welcome people into the house of the Lord. Especially if it's like this. It's like, you could probably do better. <laughs> but, but even the most ornate spires and, and stained glass cathedrals, that's, that's not glorious enough for God. It references Old Testament imagery of God having one specific place where he would meet with his people. That's, that's not God's design because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in more liturgical Christian traditions today, if you follow the church calendar, is called the day of, of Pentecost. It's 50 days after Easter. You know what Pentecost celebrates? It's, it's the Spirit coming down and indwelling God's people. We see this for the first time in Acts chapter 2. God the Spirit descended, tongues of fire. God the Spirit filled the first disciples of Jesus. And, and, and as you become a follower of Jesus, God's, the Spirit fills every follower of Jesus since with God's power and with God's presence. And, and so hear me on this. By God's power and, and with the Spirit's presence, if you call yourself a Christian, you are a temple of God. Your, your bodies are temporary tents. Your, your body's a tabernacle, if, if we can use that language, for God's presence to live in. Now, now our bodies aren't permanent in their current forms. We'll, we'll die one day, just like the tabernacle went away and it was, was replaced by a temple. So also will our imperfect bodies fade and die one day and we'll, we'll be replaced and renewed by a perfect eternal body. But, but in this life, if you are a Christian, you are God's tabernacle. And, and, and once we enter eternity, we won't need to be God's temples or tabernacles anymore because in, in a vision of heaven and earth that we'll come back to today that's even better than the Garden of Eden, we will be in the perfect, full presence of God forever. So from Eden to the tabernacle to the temple and skipping a few hundred years to us today and then a renewed heavens and earth, God has always had a sanctuary. God has always had a dwelling place with his people. And I intentionally skipped over one of God's dwelling places. But after the physical Old Testament temple and before God's spirit filled his people and we are now his temples, Jesus was the very presence of God in literal form on the earth in, in a fuller way, in a greater way than we can ever be, than the temple, temple could ever be, than the tabernacle could ever be. In fact, John in his gospel says that the word became flesh and what's the word there? Dwelt among us. What did God say was the purpose of the tabernacle? Build me a sanctuary where I will dwell with you. And, and you may know this. Do you know what the literal word for, for, for dwelt here is in John 1? It literally says the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the full presence of God on earth. And that's really vital and important for, for a couple of reasons. One, again, God has always had a home with his people. But there's a second reason that this is really important to realize, 
And we see this most fully in Jesus, but we also see it in Eden, and we see it in the tabernacle, and the temple, and in us, and in the new heavens and new earth. The second reason it's important to know that God's always had a dwelling place with his people is because God's dwelling place has always reflected God. Talk to me for a minute. What are some ways that Eden, God's initial creation, his initial dwelling place, what are some ways that Eden reflected God, his goodness, his character, his ways, his works? Anything come to mind? Say it again. Complete provision. Yeah, complete provision. Absolutely. What else? How How did Eden reflect God? It was good. It was good. Everything in Eden was good. And, and why its creator was good is good. What else? Partnership. Partnership. Yeah, God called his people and all of creation to play specific parts. And the partnership was to, to, to serve the earth and to worship the Lord. And everyone did it perfectly. We go on and on and on. But, but what are some ways you and I can reflect God? If, if we are temples of the Holy Spirit and, and God's dwelling place always reflects God, what are some ways we can reflect our Creator? Working. Say it again? By working. By working. Yeah. God worked. God created. God also rested. So both sides of that. If we're honest, we can hearken back to some of those other things of recognizing God is still a perfect provider. God still calls us in to partnership. Anything else come to mind as, as ways we reflect? Good yeah, things. we can create good create things. Yeah. Right. Through whether that's creativity like artwork or an organization. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of ways we can reflect our creator and image forth his image by creating good things. Forgive other people. Forgive other people as we've been forgiven. What are some ways Jesus reflected God? And we think about this a lot, but, but through the image of like God putting Jesus, God the Son on earth, as a full reflection of God's dwelling, what are some ways that Jesus reflected God the Father, was God? He saw people. He saw people, yeah. And, and especially the unseeable. Yeah, what else? Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth, as John 1 reminded us. And most of us trend toward one or the other, but, you know, it's not a scale, but Jesus was perfect in both. He brought healing and restoration. Brought healing and restoration, yeah. And, and so, again, all, all, of, all of these dwelling places have opportunities for that. The tabernacle was a place of healing and restoration. The tabernacle was a place of grace and truth, and we'll see that more in the coming weeks. This is why, in Exodus 25, The people's gifts were rich and and were of the best materials. It's not because God is about stuff or money, but rather every gift declared God is precious and God is worthy. And the rest of these chapters, Exodus 25, 26, 27, describe different elements of the tabernacle. And and if you've ever read these before, perhaps you read them coming into this week, there's there's a lot of detail in the back half of Exodus and a lot of detail that's lost on us because we're like, I don't know what a cubit is, frankly. Um, And and other things that we're like, that doesn't doesn't apply to us anymore. But here's what I want to submit. Every detail in the creation of the tabernacle reflects something about God. 
about his goodness, about his character, about his will, about his ways. And so, so today I want to do something with you that's going to be a little bit different, okay? And rather than just me kind of tell you about every element of the tabernacle in these chapters, I want you to tell each other about them. So on your tables, um, there is a sheet of paper that has a few verses, and here's what we're going to do, okay? Knowing that in Christ we have the same spirit of God working in us, I want you to think together, just two or three minutes, about ways that each element of the tabernacle reflects God, okay? So if you are in the back, back folks have your, your sheets of paper too? Okay, great. Um, and, and, and so all you're going to do is take two or three minutes. There's no one right answer. Um, there's just the same kind of questions on every page. Read that passage and go, how does this element reflect God? His character, his promises, his provisions, biblical themes. And how does this element point back to Eden and forward to Jesus in eternity? Okay? So take a few minutes. Little table conversation today. Ready, go. All right, so the reality is we talk about each of these for like its own 20, 30 minute plus session. Um, but, and again, there's no one right answer. And in fact, even going around our little table uh, with different aged folks in my family, um, hearing things like, oh, I wouldn't have thought about that. And that's part of the beauty of this. So uh, two different tables. We're just going to share, share a little bit with this. Uh, just each table I'm going to ask to share like what's one, one or two things that came out. Okay, so... Um, two different tables had the first image, the Ark of the Covenant. What's something about the Ark of the Covenant that reflected God or his earlier dwellings or his later dwellings? He's like a creative director, and he has designers that are humans, and he's like, hey, this is how I want it to look. And he's very specific yeah, yeah. about and direct about what he wants. Yeah, so I'm going to repeat all these so everybody can hear it. Like God's like a creative director who has people partnering with him, but, but gives, gives some specific directions. And, and what a good God we have who tells us some things about himself and some things about his law, so we're not left guessing. That's, that's a good thing about God. What else from the other number one table, the other Ark of the Covenant table? Yeah, yeah I like you. Sure. <laughs> Hi, welcome. It's your first time here. We're going to put you on the spot. <laughs> top of the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat, guarded, interestingly, by two angels, hearkening back to Eden, right? And, and within the Ark, there's also, like, that's the, that's the law of God. Where's the law of God written today? It's, it's in us, the, 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 the temples today of God and his people, okay? That's great. Thank you so much. That's some ways, among many, that the Ark of the Covenant reflect deeper truths about God and and if we reflect on it, we're like, oh, there's things about that that are then true for us. We are his people of promise today. Um, on the mercy seat, the, the, the priest would sprinkle blood. Blood was always required for atonement, for, 
forgiveness, and on and on it could go. All right, uh, second, second image, the table and the bread. There's two different tables that have this as well. So what came up, either table? Uh, it was interesting how this table that carries like the symbol of sustenance was made from uh, something organic and then gilded, and it was almost like God taking his creation and sanctifying it again after it had been mm. you know, made not good anymore. Yeah, that's interesting, the, the wood underneath, oh, yeah. and then, yeah, I've never thought about that, how God created it out of something organic and then kind of sealed it or, or encapsulated it in something more precious and sanctifying it. That's amazing. Anything else? Did y'all think of that, by the way? Is that, no? Okay. <laughs> table has so much foreshadowing. Jesus is the bread of life. I and mean, we'll come back to communion later in our gathering. And the, there were 12 loaves for the 12 tribes and the, the true forthcoming bread, the true oil and offering that was to be poured out of the most precious vessel. On and on you could go. There's so much richness in these. Yeah? Um, we talked too about how the table so ornate and bread is so common. Hmm. And uh, like Kind of Jesus is both of those. Yeah. Jesus is both ornate and common. And for us, as we carry him as lampstands, which we're going to next into the everyday life, like we get to reflect him in the most ornate and big and highest moments and also the most mundane and everyday aspects of our own lives as well. That's great. Again, plenty more on this. We've got to move on. What about the lampstand and the oil? Who had lampstands and oil? All right. Folks in the back go first. <laughs> um, I was noticing that it was made of pure gold. Yeah, the spirit is still working and bearing fruit, and there's even, I can't remember if this is in this, but like if you picture a menorah, like, like we can kind of commonly picture for Hanukkah, that there's a little bit of imagery there that's like, it looks like a, a tree, in a sense, and it harkens back to the tree of life, and so God has been bearing fruit ever since. I love that imagery. His, his love is pure, like the pure gold of, of the lampstand as well. Great job. You guys have anything? <coughs> Say it again. Yeah, yeah. Jesus said he's the light of the world. He puts in us by the descending of, of the spirit like fire, right? He sends us to be the light of the world as well. Light was the very first thing that was created. Yeah, hearkening right back to, to Genesis 1. We'll see that again in, in uh, Revelation 21 here in just a couple minutes. 
Good. All right. Moving on. Holy of Holies. Who had number four? Image of the Holy and Holies. Who wants to go first? We, we can go. All right. Uh, so I think that you know, there's a lot of cool imagery there. The cherubim kind of uh, stationed right outside the Holy of Holies mm-hmm. kind of harkens back to Eden and the cherubim guarding the, the door into Eden. And then just the how how marking out this space is like the most separated spot in the whole tabernacle. And this is going to be the space where God is choosing to meet with his people. Yeah. Um, Just speaks to his otherness Mm -hmm. as well as his like desire. You know, like how do you contain him in a space, but also allow humans to be perfect to enter in. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So just to, to kind of recap some of that, there is a specific space that, that only God can dwell in. And if you know this, like a priest could go in, but only once a year after he was perfectly purified. And so God is among his people and yet is still other in a sense. And there's something really helpful about that. Like you know, the holiness of God doesn't disappear just because he's with us. He's, he's, he's not like us. There's none like him. In Jesus, though, we get to enter into his presence all the time, all year long, not just once a year, which is really good. Anything else y'all would add? Um, there was the curtain was being put to a purple mm-hmm. um, reflects God because God is the most precious, right? I did not know that purple came from snails that lived in the sea. Do you think they got him as they crossed the Red Sea when it was dry and scooped him up along the way? But yeah, it took a lot of effort to go and to, to, to get purple, which was the most fine, all, even through the Middle Ages and beyond, purple was the hardest color to come by, and so it spoke to God's precious nature. That's great. All right. Last two, bronze altar. Who had the bronze altar? What did we see? Yeah, it's metal and God is dependable and sturdy. Anything else? We talked about how it was on the altar that animals were sacrificed. And, and we remember from, from Eden that God sacrificed an animal to cover Adam's sin and shame, and it obviously points forward to Jesus saying he was our full and final sacrifice. We don't have to have altars and don't have to have sacrifices anymore because of his good work. Last table, wrap us up with the outer court. What do you see? Uh, we talked about how court is generally a meeting place. So mm-hmm. We talked about God's accessibility and willingness to meet us where we are yeah of course God's meeting place I love that so God meets us where we are yeah there's another image that I don't think is in Exodus but later on you find that the court is where folks from other nations can come and they couldn't enter into further into the the temple complex but God is a God for all nations and in the New Testament God welcomes all people of all nations but he's been doing that since the Old Testament Old Covenant as well this is way too quick of a, of a rush through of some of these elements, you guys. But, but I hope what you see, and this is all we're trying to kind of bring out, 
even though there's so much more to say about every element of the tabernacle, and frankly, we'll revisit it because it comes back in the uh, last few chapters of Exodus. But, but the point for today is that God's tabernacle is not arbitrary. For, for, for us, we can get lost in these details and go, who cares what kind of wood it is or what kind of weaving was done in the purple curtains or this kind of stuff, but nothing about it was arbitrary. Everything was God's perfect design to help point us back to him, to help point his people back to him. Through a lot of the month of May, we walked through God's law and, and saw that in his law, people reflected God's heart in their life and in their actions. In a similar way, every element of God's tabernacle is designed to, to, to reflect God's holiness in the lives of his people. And y'all, if that's true for God's Old Testament dwelling. And if we've said it's true for the Garden of Eden, it's true for the temple, it's also true for us, who are God's New Testament dwelling. You and I are designed as as spiritual tabernacles to reflect God's character and his promises and his provision to, to the folks around us. We are walking lampstands reflecting the true and better light of the world everywhere we go in this broken and hurting earth today. And if I can be frank, like this is one reason among a lot of other reasons that it's so harmful and hurtful when something like, if you follow the news, a report comes out about abuse in the church, whether Roman Catholic or Southern Baptist or just any local pastor you know or denominational leader or any. Not not only are these things terrible things in and of themselves, which I want to be clear, they are terrible things in and of themselves, but it, it also utterly reflects something that is directly contrary to the heart of God, carried out by the folks who are meant to reflect God's heart to the world around us. Or when we see things like priests blessing warheads, or or when Jesus' followers look down and despise and reject other people created in God's image based on race or gender or age or anything else, or, or when God's people follow the ways of the world of disregarding God's holy standard and his authority for marriage or sexuality, and on and on and on and on it goes. All of these things and more are New Testament versions of desecrating God's holy place. They're, they're, they're modern versions of destroying God's temple. So all of this imagery has implications for us. We are God's dwelling place in the world today. And so a question for you in the grocery store with your kids, with your neighbors at work is, what are you displaying to the world? What are we displaying to the world? Because let's be honest, the tabernacle, it's weird. Everywhere Israel went, the first thing they would do is establish this huge tent in the center of their camp. And and the tent was a symbol to say, look, these curtains and these furnishings and the activity that happens here, all of that reflects the center of our lives. There's a better authority, there's a better truth, and a better God that was displayed to the watching nations around them whenever they would go and wherever they would wander. Similarly, as you and I engage neighbors and coworkers and friends and family who don't believe in Jesus, our lives and our actions and our words say the same thing. Yes, my decisions may seem weird to you. 
my allegiance is countercultural and doesn't make a lot of sense. But you know what? They still reflect the very thing that is the heart and centerpiece of my life. This is why we can say earlier that these chapters are not about a tithe. Because today, our primary offerings to God are not mainly gold or onyx or dollars and cents, but rather, what's our primary offering to God today? Romans 12 will tell us it's our sacrificial life laid down for God that declares, God, you are precious and you are worthy, and I'm willing to look weird like the tabernacle to the world around us. All right, and that brings us to our last point. This, this God's earthly home points to our eternal home. Okay, again, tabernacle is a tent. By nature, it's temporary. Jesus' time on earth in the flesh was also temporary. Your life and my life, it's brief. Your body, this temple in the Holy, of the Holy Spirit that we get to indwell, it's fading. Your body and my body are, are fading. No earthly home is perfect and no earthly home is forever and no earthly home 100% reflects the heart of God. But even that, I want to submit, is by God's perfect design. Because in all of our imperfections, it leaves us longing and yearning for something more perfect. The tabernacle, the temple, our breaking bodies all foreshadow a future and full and eternal home. And you guys, the promise of God is that one day Jesus will return and one day God will restore the heavens and the earth, if I can say this, to something even better than the Garden of Eden. I just want to read some of these images and and, and, and hearken back to what your section of the tabernacle chapters said. But this is from Revelation where John is looking at the restored heavens, the the renewed heavens and renewed earth. This is what God showed him. It says, The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And skipping down a little bit, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. And then for a few verses, they list all the kinds of jewels. And then he says the 12 gates were were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city. Why? Because its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And further, the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By the light of the Lamb will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And skipping down a little bit further, nothing unclean will ever enter it, just like the Holy of Holies, nor anyone who does what is detestable and false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then John said, The angel showed me the river of the water of life as bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and also on either side of the river, the tree of life, which is like the menorah, the lampstand with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Is any of that imagery familiar? Like this tabernacle was a foreshadow of what's coming in eternity. Here's the point. In Exodus, God's Old Testament people wandered, but one day they were promised an earthly promised land. Today, we, God's New Testament people, are also wandering through a land that's not our own in temporary homes and as temporary tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. And and I don't think I have to convince you that we yearn for more. But God's hope and his promise is the same. One day there will be an eternal, permanent, promised land and final home with God forever. We said at the start, the tabernacle was God's earthly home while his people wandered. But the tabernacle also pointed to God's more permanent home in the promised land. That was literally true for Israel, and it's spiritually true for us. And what's the one way to dwell with God in this promised land? It's to trust the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus that invites us into the Holy of Holies as God's greatest reflection and his greatest earthly dwelling, which is Christ. That's what we celebrate as we take communion. So if you want to take a piece of bread, And if you uh, need a gluten-free option or uh, need an individual option, there's a few on the table back there. But otherwise, if you'll take the bread and hold it for just a moment, we remember that this this is the the body of Christ broken for us. The, The perfect lamp, the light of the world, sacrificed on the altar who could dwell in the mercy seat of the holy and holies. His body was broken for you. And dip it in the juice or the wine. The juice is very light. The wine is wine colored. And we remember that this is his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins to bring you home into the love of the Father and the sending of the Spirit by which we now are the lights of the world. Take and eat. My Father, you and you alone are the pinnacle of goodness. You and you alone are the culmination of all these images you and you alone are perfectly able to dwell in the holy of holies and yet you chose to give yourself to invite us into your presence thank you for your love thank you god for creating even the obscure ancient tent in a way that has implications for us and foreshadows of eternity would this be on our mind through the week as we walk about as your lamp stands, showing people a greater God. It's in your son's name. Amen.